the Kapow Radio Show, Kingdom Against Powers of Wickedness. Yes, today's date is July 8th, 2019. And today we have a special show. I'm going to give a little introduction here and then I'm going to play this audio from Ray Jungen. He's now uh, deceased. Um, unfortunately, he died, but he was one of the good guys. Um, he had Lighthouse Trails Publishing. I believe they're probably still going on on the internet and uh, exposed a lot of darkness. But what I'm going to play for you today is it's called The New Face of Mystical Spirituality. It's the Invisible Denomination. He's talking about the New Age. Ray Yugen, R-A-Y-Y-U-N-G-U-N. And this was done in 2009. And this was what's incredible about this message. It is 10 years old, 10 years old, but listen to how he explains the coming darkness. And now, 10 years later in 2019, we absolutely know, we absolutely see it, we absolutely feel it a hundredfold. It's incredible. And he talks about how this new age, this mystical spirituality this invisible denomination, because that's what it is. It's a religion and it's invisible because people don't realize what it is. But he talks about how it has crept into the church. Yes, when people are doing Christian yoga, Chris yoga, whatever you want to call it, they're doing martial arts in the churches. They're doing all these mystical experiences, prayer circles, prayer stations, you name it. He examines the source and nature of this spirituality. And he gives credible evidence of its widespread influence in our culture. He's talking about yoga, Reiki, chakras, metaphysical practices. They're all examined and exposed with a prediction that they would increase. So remember, this was 10 years ago, and he predicted they would increase. And he was absolutely right on. He calls this ancient Satanism because that's what it is. It's ancient Satanism and he calls it the invisible denomination because it has permeated businesses, education, law, health, religion, all facets of modern culture. Meanwhile, the average person does not recognize this as an actual denomination or spiritual body. And either does the average church-going Christian. They don't recognize these ancient principles, this ancient Satanism. So I'm going to play this audio. It's a probably a little over an hour long, but it's really, really good. And I think you'll, you'll enjoy it. I have several of his uh, DVDs, and uh, this is just one of them. So if it goes well, I'll play more. But before I play the, the audio of Ray Jungen, I want to remind everybody that this month only in July, this month only in July, we are giving away five ebooks absolutely free, absolutely free. And many, many people have already taken advantage of this. Um, I get email notifications every time a book is sold or distributed, and many people have gone and claimed their books, their free books, a lot of people. So you don't want to miss out on that because once July ends, they won't be free anymore. They'll be back to $2.99 each if I leave them up there. Um, the first one is Fate of Holiness by Pam Telgenhoff, a very good book. Miss Kapow and I wrote the foreword to it. It talks about what happened to holiness. Really good. Uh, uh, Christianity of Blasphemy. You heard us talking about this. Uh, another thing that I had written a while predicting this Cheez-Its, this false Christ, this little Jesus that um, comes and masquerades as the real savior in our church system. It's a really good book. Pick that up. Idolicide. Idolicide is the killing of idols. Idolicide. And this talks about these idols in your lives that you need to get rid of in order to walk better in your faith. And then Martial Arts, A Biblical Perspective, the most hated book I ever wrote, and it's hated by those who do martial arts, and they hate what I say about it because they don't want to quit doing these things and uh, doing these ancient practices. They want to stay in their sin. 
So anyway, that's a good book on that. If you know anybody who's um, doing Christian martial arts or martial, martial arts at all, you might want to read this because I explain a lot of stuff on it. It's very well researched. And then the wisdom of death. And that is a and six paths to understanding grief is what it is. It is a bereavement book about loss and grief. And it's a good one to have. So those five books are free. So what you do is you can do two things. You can do it the hard way. You can go to smashwords.com, type in Fifth Hook Media, find our uh, publishing page, and then get the books. Or you can just do it the easy way. Go to fifthhookmedia.com, our website, F-I-F-T-H-O-O-K-M-E-D-I-A, Fifth Hook Media, F I F T. H-O-O-K media.com and when you go there right on the front page right on the splash page I have a link to our publishing page on Smashwords click that it'll take you there get the five books put them in your cart and at checkout you'll get the free discount on all of them and you'll get them free so do that and um, you'll enjoy that now the other you know our flagship book Demons in a Marriage Bed and Eyes to See Unseen Enemy, those are sold on Amazon as an ebook and paperback. Those books aren't included in this free thing. If I was gonna give those books away, I have to I have to purchase the book to give away. So it costs me like forty bucks to give four you know, four books away. So that doesn't happen very often. But this, because they're ebooks, they don't cost me anything. All right, so we're gonna do that for you in the month of July. So without further ado, ado, let's listen to the new face of mystical spirituality, the invisible denomination, the new age by Ray Jungen. And one more thing. I'm sorry. One more thing. Just released on the 6th of this month, just released is my new song called I've become a new man and it's about becoming a new man about changing and uh, it's a nice little blues ditty I think you'll like it it's available everywhere on streaming Spotify you can get it on Amazon iTunes Napster Deezer you name it it's everywhere Go to YouTube, type in Mesquite Cafe, and you can listen to the song on the video. All right? So, I've become a new man by Mesquite Cafe. And so, we've got a lot of things going on. All right. So, now I will play you the audio, and we will talk to you next week. This morning, we're going to be looking at uh, the changing spiritual landscape of the U.S. and the Western world, and I don't know if you realize it has changed, but a uh, good example is I was at a uh, local chain bookstore here a couple of days ago, and uh, one that uh, has a large magazine section, and uh, there was a section called Spirituality, and on bright or big letters, Spirituality. So I counted the number of magazines, and there were 34 New Age magazines and nine Christian magazines. So that kind of gives you an indication of what we're looking at here. And in that bookstore, there were 40 shelves devoted to Christian inspiration and 37 shelves devoted to New Age spirituality. So, you know, going by the law of the market, they're, they're almost identical. So uh, somebody asked me to explain what my two books are about, what, which, how they're different. Well, the first one is called for many shall come in my name, and is about uh, just the new age in general on secular society, the fields of education, business, psychology and counseling, uh, health, uh, religion, things like that. The second one is called The Time of Departing, and that is about uh, the impact of new age spirituality on Christianity, particularly evangelical Christianity. So we're going to get into the program here. and take a look at uh, how the spiritual landscape of the U.S. has changed and why it has changed. Okay, the basic thesis of this presentation 
is that a mystical, occult-driven New Age movement has radically changed, and the emphasis is on radically, has radically changed the spiritual landscape of the Western world. Society is being conditioned to embrace a false spirituality that rejects the God of the Bible and the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. So that's the bottom line right there. That's what we're looking at. That this, is, this is the controversy right here. We have a, one spirituality that is replacing another spirituality, and the spirituality that is getting replaced is the one that we base our approach to God on, you know, the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. And to understand this, this is probably one of my greatest challenges, is that people that aren't mystics have a very difficult time comprehending mysticism because mysticism has to do with the supernatural. And uh, I've kind of narrowed it down. Non-mystics, and that would be people in this room, operate in the realm of the conscious mind, objective reason and ideas. Mystics, on the other hand, operate in the realm of subjective experiences and altered states of consciousness, having employed some technique to get in touch with a supernatural force or power. Some of the things you're gonna hear this morning sound really outlandish if you're only operating in the realm of the conscious mind. For instance, um, what would you think if I told you that bed bugs and turnips are God? You know, you know, how can anybody believe that, right? That's outrageous. How can bed bugs be God? But if you're a mystic and you've let some supernatural power come into you and take over your mind, and give you the impression that bed bugs and turnips are God, then that's a whole nother thing because you've had the experience that that is the way it is. Uh, for those of you who have pencil and paper, nobody's gonna believe they're God unless they feel like they're God, right? Nobody's gonna believe they're God unless they feel like they're God. And that's what we're uh, looking at here with mysticism. Mysticism is the direct experience of the supernatural, not just believing some idea or some doctrine. Like with the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons, they try to get your t attention intellectually and they try to convince you that they have the restored, the restored gospel or that Jesus was the angel Moroni, but they approach you through your intellectual faculties. It has to do with facts and, and convincing you on the intellectual basis, but not so with mysticism. Okay, how many of you heard the term the occult? Occult, the occult, okay? A lot of you probably think it has to do with weird, creepy people in black and upside down crosses and people going, hail Satan, things like that. The thing is, occultism is much more idealistic. Occultism really has uh, a great appeal for a lot of people, you know, it, because uh, of the following. Occultism is defined as the science of mystical evolution. It is the employment of the hidden, i.e. occult, mystical faculties of man to discern the hidden reality of nature. See, the word occult comes from the Latin word occultus, which means hidden or kept secret. Hidden or kept secret. So the view is there's two aspects to this. One, is that there's this hidden realm that you can't see by your five senses or can't relate to. So you have to develop hidden faculties. You have to develop the hidden ability to tap into this hidden realm. And that's where the word occult comes from, hidden or kept secret. And this is how it's done. How many of you have been reading in like health magazines or Sunday newspaper, or whatever, and you see a picture like this? You know, quite a few. I went into my bank on the West Coast, I went into my bank and there was a, a picture on the wall, it was a, some kind of promotion. There was a, um, a poster on the wall that showed some guy meditating. Now you wouldn't expect to see meditation in your bank, right? Well, this is, this is why, because this is becoming the bedrock or the foundation of this new spirituality, this changing spiritual landscape. This is how you tap into this hidden realm or this unseen supernatural realm is through the practice of meditation. Okay, meditation is the doorway between worlds, the pathway between dimensions. Meditation is the key, the indispensable key to the highest states of awareness. You can't really be a new ager 
unless you meditate, you know, which is the basis of mysticism. And what they mean by meditation is not thinking about things. I used to think before I became aware of this, I thought when I saw that term meditation, I thought it meant just to sit and think, you know, well, everybody does that. That's just part of being a human being is thinking about things. Then I found out that what they meant by meditation was not thinking, is turning off your, your thought process, you know, turning off your mind by using uh, various methods, like one is a, a mantra. How many of you heard the term mantra? Now, mantra is two words, and it means to be liberated from thought. And you, you do that by repeating either a word or a, a phrase over and over again. You just focus on it, and as you focus on it, your mind can't think. In other words, your thoughts can't proceed. And the mantra acts kind of like a, a, a dam in a river. You know, it, it, it stops the flow of thoughts, and then the water backs up and becomes a still pool. And they call that the silence. And in the silence, what you hear is what's called the higher self or your spirit guides. Now, your higher self is your divine self. This is a basic format is you meditate, you empty your mind, you have spiritual experiences, you meet spirit guides, you meet beings that say they're, they're your higher self, and you let them run your, your, uh, your life. You let them take over the controls, and now you're being guided and directed by these spirit guides. And I believe that these spirit guides are what the Bible calls familiar spirits. That's what makes this movement so uh, significant, so dangerous, is that we have people that are actually giving themselves over to what Leviticus 19.31 calls familiar spirits. And of course, some people might think, well, that's, that's impossible. You know, how can, how can that happen? How can people allow this? But this is, this is what we're looking at this morning, how this came about. There's a couple of... Um, I mean, you recognize Deepak Chopra there on the left. He's one of the major promoters of New Age spirituality, uh, awakening the higher self. So, uh, by the way, how many have heard people use the term higher self? How many have come across that just in general life? That is the God of the New Age, is the higher self. And we're talking about this in a mystical uh, connotation, not just the part of you that does noble things like, you know, helps people when they're in trouble but an actual mystical perception that your inner divinity has gotten in touch with you. And some people may think, well, this is just silly. You know, people just imagine they have a higher self. You know, they meditate and they have these experiences. It's all in their imagination. Well, this is why I think it is actually familiar spirits because there's uniformity to it. There's uniformity. When you have uniformity, that means there actually is a second party there. Okay, from every culture, religion, and race, the mystical experience has a recurring pattern. The core experiences are often indistinguishable from each other. In other words, whether you're a housewife in Des Moines or whether you're a Hindu guru in the Himalayas, everybody has the same experience. So this means there actually is an actual um, experience going on that's rooted in reality. Okay, how did it become popular? Now, many of you might find this very interesting. In the 19, early, in 1965, New Age spirituality was very tiny. It, was, it hardly existed. It was there, but it was real, just a small sliver of society. Only a handful of people meditated, probably under 100,000 or maybe under 50,000. But New Age spirituality was not something that was part of American culture. Well, that started to change in the late 60s when uh, what was called the hippie movement came into being. Now, the hippie movement, that was kind of a slang term. If you were a hippie, you didn't call yourself a hippie. You know, you, only people who were non-hippies called them hippies, but it was kind of derogatory. It was, uh, you know, the Beatles and uh, Bob Dylan and LSD and marijuana and... There was this, um, this change from about 64 to 67, and guys started growing their hair long, and people started using drugs, and 
you, music changed, you know, it was psychedelic. And, and this was called the, the hippie subculture. And in 1969, there was this uh, Woodstock Music Festival. How many of you have heard of the Woodstock Music Festival? In fact, for, after that, uh, people with uh, this persuasion referred to themselves as the Woodstock Nation. Well, uh, you may not know this, but the person that, uh, st that was the keynote speaker that kicked off the Woodstock uh, uh, Music Festival was Swami Satchidananda, the gentleman on the screen there with the long white beard. And he's a Hindu guru. He was a Hindu Swami. And he, uh, there were about 300,000 young people there. And he kind of, uh, when the music festival began, he kind of chided them for using drugs. You know, he kind of scolded them for using LSD. He said they should be meditating instead. And incredibly, you can, you, if you rent the movie uh, Woodstock, you can see this. There's about uh, five to eight minutes devoted to this. He actually leads them, 300,000 young people, he actually leads them in chanting the Hindu mantra Om. All of them, you know. And uh, this is not surprising because the, um, the subtitle of the Woodstock Music Festival was An Aquarian Fair. That was the actual official subtitle, An Aquarian Fair. And of course, Aquarian is the age of Aquarius. And that's what the new age is, is you know, the coming age of Aquarius. We're moving out of the Piscean age into the Aquarian age. And in the Aquarian age, everyone is going to be in touch with their higher self. That's the, the spiritual keynote of the Aquarian age, is humanity will come into the full realization of its divinity through meditation. And if you can, uh, the picture of uh, the Swami, there, see in the background? Can you all see the that thing in the back of them there? Well, that represents all the world's religions. We have uh, Islam and, and Judaism and Hinduism, and each one of those little signs in back of them represents one of the world's religions. And his, uh, his goal was to unite all the world's religions around meditation. That's one of the, that was one of the things that Swami Satchananda was known for, was uniting the world's religions at the mystical level. Anyhow, uh, after that, you know, this got the ball rolling. In the 1970s, Transcendental Meditation became quite popular. Um, I remember one time, how many remember a guy named Merv Griffin? Well, Merv Griffin had the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, that's the, the man here on the cover of Time Magazine, on his show. And uh, Burt Reynolds and Clint Eastwood was, were on the show too, and both of them said they were meditators. And then Bert uh, um, Griffin said he, he was a meditator also. And I thought, wow, this must be pretty good stuff. <laughs> and I was a Christian at the time, and they were just saying that Maharishi was saying that, uh, you know, when, uh, when, when a lot of people do TM in a city, the crime rate goes down. Well, anyhow, this was, he made the cover of Time magazine. And uh, in the 1970s, one million Americans signed up for TM classes. And that kind of got the new age really, uh, really uh, going. Well, because of that, all these people were having mystical experiences. And this book came out about 1980 called The Aquarian Conspiracy. It was written by a woman named Marilyn Ferguson. Now, Marilyn Ferguson was just a normal person, and she had migraine headaches. So her brother said she should enroll in transcendental meditation classes to get rid of her migraine headaches. So she enrolled. I don't know if it got rid of her headaches, but she got in touch with her higher self, you know, through TM. And she uh, started to study what was going on in society, and she found out that there were hundreds of thousands of people who were meditating and getting in touch with their higher self, and then they were starting to change all these different uh, areas, you know, that they had influence in. Education, health, whatever, and she uh, coined these people the Aquarian Conspiracy. And she said, I coined the term Aquarian Conspiracy to describe the network of people who are seeking social transformation, which emerges from personal interchange. And by personal interchange, what she means is mystical change or getting in touch with these spiritual forces.
And there's uh, Marilyn Ferguson. She says, the way we structure our world in terms of education, health, economics, politics, and relationships is undergoing a profound shift, a paradigm shift, which is radically altering the framework for thought in our culture. So this is one of the books that got me concerned. I thought, man, all these people, you know, they're, they're basically getting in touch with, uh, you know, uh, forces that are not Christian, you know, they, they don't go in the uh, direction of, of uh, the preaching of the cross, you know, they're, they're going in the direction that man is God, and I thought, wow, this is something that's significant. So this is one of the books that got me uh, concerned in studying this movement. And, and because of this, because of this, mysticism became like a Trojan horse in our society. Western society began its love affair with mysticism in the 1970s, 1980s, following the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Mysticism is like a Trojan horse that looks intriguing and benign, but which harbors great danger. So I saw the Aquarian conspiracy as like a Trojan horse that was coming into all these different areas of society. Okay, New Age books and publishers. This is, this is what I mean. These are people we're about to look at are like quintessential uh, Aquarian conspirators. How many of you remember the story contained in the book of Acts chapter 19 where there were seven sons of Sceva and they were trying to cast out a demon because they saw the apostle Paul doing great miracles through God. So they tried to do the same thing. So they go up to this guy who's demon possessed and they say, we adjure you by this Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. Yeah. And guess what the evil spirit did? The evil spirit answered them and said to them, hey, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And guess what? The man that had the demons jumped on him, beat the heck out of him, subdued him, overpowered him, and they literally fled out of the house naked and wounded. Wow. Guess why? Guess why? Because they did not go to Amazon.com and buy Demons in My Marriage Bed. A true story of spiritual warfare. The book is not about you being married or single. The book is about dealing with demonic forces. And you need to know how to do that today more than you ever have for your own life and for those around you. The book is a training manual. And there's training in there that will teach you how not to be the sons of Sceva and get beat up by demons. It will give you the tools for you to be recognized by them because they'll know that you're exercising the authority that is given to you through Christ. You need to get this book. Okay, uh, how many of you have heard people say they're spiritual but not religious? Okay, quite a few of you, right? Well, usually if they say that, they're not born-again Christians. They tend to be uh, people who uh, you know, are attracted to New Age spirituality. This is a book uh, called Spiritual But Not Religious by Robert C. Fuller. He said, over the past decade, bookstores have emerged as the most important centers of unchurched spirituality. So people are getting their spiritual nourishment from bookstores, you know, self-help sections. And according to this book, 40 million Americans are tied into New Age spirituality. 20% of all Americans, 40 million people, excuse me, are tied into New Age spirituality. This is a very uh, significant book for people that research this movement. Okay, this is uh, Louise Hay. She's known as the queen of the New Age because she wrote a book called You Can Heal Your Life. And what it's about if you have any kind of problems, if you have any kind of difficulties in life, you can heal your life by meditating and getting in touch with your higher self. Well, her book has sold 30 million copies. You know, 30 million. And this book has changed the religious landscape of America, just this book alone. And has, has, has uh, given her so much money and so much clout that she founded her own publishing company called Hay House. And now, uh, other books that she's published are selling millions of copies. Here's one, uh, 
the teachings of Abraham. This is a woman, uh, Esther and Jerry Hicks. Esther Hicks was doing meditation. All of a sudden, this group of spirit guides started speaking through her, which called themselves Abraham. This is not the Abraham of the Bible, but a group of familiar spirits. And this is published by Hay House. And it says in the U.S., Esther, and this is from a British uh, uh, newspaper, in the U.S., Esther and Jerry Hicks, with the help of uh, commentations from Oprah Winfrey, have sold almost have sold almost 1.5 million copies of their last three books. Now it's probably three or four million because this is back in 2007. Uh, books such as *The Law of Attraction* have been on the New York Times bestseller list, and people that would never have read these books before are now reading them because. You know, there's such an openness to uh, what we're seeing. This is this is kind of interesting here. This is kind of uh, you know significant. This is uh, Madame Helena Petrovna Blavatsky. She many call her the mother of the New Age movement. She founded the Theosophical Society in 1875, and the Theosophical Society is considered to be one of the first New Age organizations. But uh, it attracted mainly just a small number of people, intellectuals, uh, people who were on the, you know, kind of uh, not in the mainstream of society back then. But the reason I put her, I want you to look at her eyes. You know, I mean, look at her eyes. There's kind of a look in her eyes that uh, indicates that she is in touch with the spirit world, that she is possessed by some kind of supernatural power. Now I want to show you one of... Um, uh, Louise Hayes, you know, her publishing company, Hay House, is one of her most popular authors, and we find the exact same look. Yeah, some of you heard of Sylvia Brown. Probably not. She's, uh, she's written like 24 books, and uh, she's been on the New York Times bestseller list. She's one of Hay House's most popular authors. But she has the exact same look in her eyes as Madame Blavatsky did. And I call her a modern day Blavatsky. And what's kind of incredible, she wrote a book on uh, the mystical life of Jesus, as you can see there in the, on the side. Yeah, uh, Sylvia Brown, you go to any metaphysical section, New Age section, you'll find two, three shelves devoted just to her books. She's extremely popular, but I wanted to show you those two pictures because I thought it was kind of striking that Madame Blavatsky and Sylvia Brown had that same look. Okay, this is this will hit kind of close to home. Uh, this is Llewellyn Publishing. This this is uh, a Witchcraft Publishing Company, and they're located in Saint Paul, Saint Paul, Minnesota. That's their headquarters. They were founded in 1901, and up until the 1980s, they were very obscure. They were just like a hole in the wall, and they published books on astrology and things. And in the 1980s, they started to explode. How many have heard of Llewellyn Publishing, by the way? Oh, quite a few of you, yes. And then in the 1980s, they started to get more, more popular. And in the 90s, they just exploded. And uh, I got a hold of their, I, I knew somebody, they actually sent one of their books to a a friend of mine who ran a Christian bookstore, and this is only for uh, people that run bookstores. I got this back in 1999, and uh, the top, the front, the front of the catalog, they have their 35 top-selling books, and I hope you can see that. See that one with a woman with the uh, second from the first one? It's called Wicca for the Solitary Practitioner. And at that time, that one had sold 330,000 copies. And then see the one, at the, the, the first, the big blue one, the first one on the second row, that's Buckland's Complete Book of Witchcraft. At that time, that had sold about 300,000. Well, I got a hold of their catalog just the other day. I went to their headquarters over, uh, I don't think it's in St. Paul anymore, it's in a suburb, one of the uh, southeastern suburbs. And now they have, this catalog had about 350 or so titles. This one has 700 titles. And now they're in a catalog, it looks like a Sears catalog or a J.C. Penney catalog. It's gotten really, uh, you know, really fancy. And that book, uh, Buck, or uh, Wicca for the Solitary Practitioner, 
has now sold 650,000 copies. It's doubled in the last eight years. Well, just that one book has sold about the same number as the, the inner city population of Minneapolis and St. Paul. Just that one book on how to practice Wicca without being in a coven. Well, anyhow, I, I figured out, uh, I, I totaled up all the top uh, 35 bestsellers here. It came to 7 million copies. And that was eight years ago. 7 million books on witchcraft sold by Llewellyn Publishing Company. Now it's probably 12 million or 14 million. Okay, you might think, well, witch, witchcraft, that's just, you know, normal people aren't going to go for witchcraft. Well, New Age spirituality has become very, very important in uh, the business world. This is an accountant executive um, meditating at home, a, uh, a spa for your spirit. And uh, this is U.S. News and World Report. It says, shh, the guy in the cubicle is meditating. It says that corporate America may be in the midst of a Damascus conversion and that uh, 2,000 global power brokers gathered from the elite World Economic Forum in uh, Switzerland, and uh, the agenda included confabs on spiritual anchors for the New Age and the future of meditation. So in other words, the corporate world, according to the U.S. News and World Report, is going for meditation. Okay, this is a book called The Corporate Mystic, and two of the top trainers for corporations in the world endorse this book. The first one is Ken Blanchard. He says, if you want to lead your enterprise into the 21st century, read this powerful book. The second was Dr. Stephen Covey. He says, this important book will sweep you into a different level of consciousness, one of a spiritual perspective and feeling so necessary in future leadership. What does he mean by spiritual perspective? In other words, this book is going to make you a spiritual person. What kind of spirituality? Well, the author, Gay Hendricks, says, most mystical traditions speak of a clear space at the center of ourselves, whether it's called soul or spirit or essence. It is what some call the higher self and represents who we really are at the core. And, of course, uh, he says that... Uh, uh, in our seminars and consultations with corporations, we began to teach meditation. So the same kind of thing you get from uh, Hay House, you know, from that one woman, uh, uh, Sylvia Brown, you get in corporate America and endorsed by two of the top people in the corporate field. This is Brian Tracy. He, uh, he, is, he claims that he has trained over a thousand corporations in his seminars. And he makes frequent reference in his uh, books and material to the superconscious mind, which is another term for the realm of spirit guides or the higher self. Now, now look at it. Wouldn't you trust a guy like that? If you were in the business world, I mean, he doesn't look uh, occultic, does he? But yet, that's what the superconscious mind is. It's the realm of the higher self and spirit guide. Brian Tracy is extremely popular in the business world. A new age spirituality and health and well-being. Yoga, you know, yoga is, has become extremely popular. 18 million Americans practice yoga. And what the word yoga means is union. Union. Union between the lower self and the higher self. And uh, this can be seen in, uh, see they're putting their hands together like they're praying. Well, that's called the namaste pose. And at the beginning and end of every yoga class, the teacher will put her hands together like that and go, Namaste. And that means the divine in me salutes the divine in you. And again, we'll see later that yoga is based on what's called the chakra system, which is connected to a supernatural perception that man is divine. And one third of all people that practice yoga practice it for spiritual reasons. In other words, to encounter God. Okay, Time Magazine did an uh, article on meditation uh, in 2003, and it said, New Age mumbo-jumbo, not for millions of Americans who meditate for health and well-being. And this article made it clear that meditation was now an accepted form of activity in the U.S. that no longer was weird or considered strange. 
And you can see this, these are Chicago firefighters meditating. You know, I mean, uh, meditation, you know, back in the 70s, 60s or 70s was something only hippies did, you know, or people who were like in the Theosophical Society. And now, um, Chicago firefighters, you know, a lot of sports people do meditation. And also, little kids are doing meditation. The, the little girl there is, uh, that's in uh, Indiana. That's a five-year-old girl doing meditation in Indiana. So it doesn't matter how old you are, or what kind of profession you're in, meditation is becoming extremely uh, normal to the degree that uh, 17 million people in the U.S. now meditate. You know, 17 million mystics in the U.S. This is from a book called Miraculous Health. And uh, the Time Magazine article, which came out in 2003, said that the number of meditators had jumped from 5 million to 10 million between 93 and 2003. So it doubled, went from 5 million to 10 million. Well, according to this book, in only four years, it went from 10 million to 17 million. So you can see there's kind of like this acceleration going on, huge acceleration. 17 million people meditating. If each one has five or six friends they can influence, we're looking at 80 to 100 million people who can be impacted by, by meditation. Okay, this is a good example. This uh, Marty Kaplan was a Jewish, secular Jewish screenwriter in Hollywood. Uh, didn't have a religious bone in his body. So uh, his doctor, he actually got this from his doctor. His doctor prescribed meditation as a way to stop biting his nails. So he started to do it, and he wrote this article called Ambushed by Spirituality. He says, I got more from mind-body meditation. That's what medicine, that's what meditation is called, mind-body medicine, than I bargained for. I got religion. You don't have to believe in anything. All you have to do is do it. See, it's not, that's what I was trying to uh, get across in the beginning. It's not a matter of being convinced intellectually all you have to do is just meditate and then you open up this portal. Okay, unwittingly, that's a key word there, unwittingly, I was engaging in a practice that had been at the heart of religious mysticism for millenniums or thousands of years. It is known to every mystic tradition. The God I have found is common to Moses and Muhammad, to Buddha and Jesus. So in other words, he did not find Jesus specifically as Lord and Savior. He found this kind of generic mysticism where all paths lead to God, where Islam and Buddhism and Christianity are all the same, basically. And this shows that this was not the same God that the Apostle Paul was connected to. There's another individual, John Randolph Price. He was in the business world. And he picked up a book on meditation from the American Management Association. I mean, how much more innocent can you get? You know, the American Management Association. Um, so he started meditating based on that book. And he said that uh, he decided to try. He said, I discovered how to come into a new sphere of consciousness. You move into a realm you may not have even known existed. So these 17 million people, somebody may say, well, just because you meditate, doesn't mean you're a new ager. Well, that's not true. People who do this kind of meditation where you empty your mind and go into altered states of consciousness, they do move into a realm. They do move into a realm, as he said, a new sphere of consciousness. Okay, Reiki. This, this gets, I'm thinking about writing a third book, and this third book would be on what's called energy healing, because this is quite, uh, this is quite a major phenomenon. It's quite a supernatural phenomenon. How many have heard of Reiki? Oh, boy, a lot of you. There's, uh, I, I've done some research here in the Twin Cities. I've went to uh, libraries and picked up publications. I went to, uh, you know, uh, uh, bookstores and always have free publications. I found there's quite a bit of Reiki in this area. It's quite popular. It's called Universal Life Energy. But in Japan, Reiki is a generic word for the occult. And it can also mean ghost energy, you know, ghost energy. Um, this, is, uh, this, this is why uh, 
I feel like writing a third book because Reiki is primarily promoted not in a religious sense, but in a therapeutic sense. This, I got this from a day spa in my hometown. It's called the Gift of Reiki. And this is what it says. Say you, and this is a place where you can get your hair done and manicures and, you know, uh, it's like a combination beauty parlor, massage place. These are called day spas. And this uh, brochure says, the gentle art of Reiki draws on universal life energy to benefit people of any age and in any state of health. Reiki offers comfort, nurture, and support for the good health and balance of your mind, body, and emotions. Now, if you read that in a day spa, what would you think? You'd think, you wouldn't think, ooh, this, this sounds weird. you think, wow, maybe this could help me, right? Am I not right? So, uh, when you look at what Reiki is, something like this put, gives, gives it a whole new uh, impact on, on what we're dealing with here. Okay, in a Google search with the words day spa and Reiki, there's over 350,000 entries. So, you know, it, the two are increasingly becoming almost synonymous. And uh, this is William Lee Rand, who's the uh, head of the International Center for Reiki Training. He says there are at least a million people in the United States right now who channel Reiki on others. One million. So we're not dealing with a small phenomenon. We're dealing with a major phenomenon, which you can encounter almost anywhere. I was at a... Uh, a big suburban mall in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, the suburbs of Phoenix. And in this mall, there was a big day spa, you know, really modern, really lavish and luxurious. And I went in and asked them if they did Reiki, and they said yes. And I thought, yeah, yeah, you can encounter this just in, you know, a big suburban mall in Phoenix, Arizona. And this is, this is why this has significance. Okay, Reiki is... Uh, being used by nurses quite often. A lot of nurses have learned Reiki. It says each class comes with what is called an attunement, which is a very sacred ceremonial procedure that is highly spiritual. During the attunement, the client is able to receive the Reiki spiritual energies used for healing. These energies are brought in via Reiki symbols, sacred symbols, which Dr. Sui rediscovered in the 1900s. So, Reiki was uh, discovered by a man named Dr. Sui, a Japanese person in the, um, in, uh, the early 1900s. And then he, uh, uh, one of his disciples uh, brought it to the U.S. in the 1970s. And there was no Reiki in the U.S. before the 1970s. And she initiated 22 Reiki masters to do this. And then they just started initiating others. And now there's a million Reiki channelers in the U.S. Okay, and this is Reiki Magazine. This is what I've been hinting at ever since we got on this subject. Uh, it says, during every attunement ceremony, I'm always aware of the presence of my Reiki guides. My Reiki guides. Now, you can imagine who the Reiki guides are. There's a picture. This picture actually came out of a Reiki Magazine. I didn't, didn't just go looking for some weird picture to scare people with, you know. This actually came out of uh, came out of uh, Reiki uh, Reiki magazine, not that particular one, but one like it. It says, "Imagine my surprise during my first Reiki class when I observed the astral images of guides and healing spirits pouring forth bright, shimmering rays of healing energy at the hands of novice practitioners." So I believe these little lights that are around the the person's uh, head and face there are these Reiki guides. And I believe that's where the power of Reiki comes from. Okay, this is a book called Hands of Light. This is from a woman named Barbara Ann Brennan. She used to be in the U.S. space program, you know, in Florida there, Cape Kennedy. And she got into uh, energy healing. And she wrote a book called Hands of Light. And she, and she actually, I have this in here because she actually has a... Um, um, kind of a, not a photograph, but a drawing of, of the Reiki guides. And I thought it was important to include this in, uh, in my presentation. And you can see 
that she's doing it on somebody. You can see these two, you see the figures at both sides of her? Okay, those are the Reiki guys. They look like just a, like a little ball of light, little bump there, but if you look, it's like actual beings. And she says, the healer must first open and align herself with the cosmic forces. This means not only just before the healing, but in her life in general. So that means people that are initiated into uh, Reiki have these beings uh, aligned with them, uh, not just when they're doing this, but during their whole, I mean, their whole life, you know, all the time, 24 hours a day. This is a quote from the book Essential Reiki. And in it, the woman wrote that Reiki once belonged to everyone. The Reiki guides wanted to be so again. So the goal of just this one segment, you know, of the New Age movement is that everybody will, will be, you know, connected to the Reiki energy, which is the realm of the Reiki guides. And that is, in a way, that's what the Aquarian Conspiracy was saying, that all these people have achieved enlightenment and oneness with the higher self, and now they were being used, you could call them like mystical evangelists, you know, mystical evangelists, only they don't have to hit you with any kind of doctrine. All they have to do is get you to meditate. You know, as long as they can get you to meditate, then they've done their job. Okay, where is, where is this all leading to? Why should we be concerned? Okay, yoga and Reiki are tied into the chakra system. The chakra system is tied into spirit guides. Spirit guides are familiar spirits and occultic phenomena which the Bible sternly warns us against. There's an article in, uh, in yoga, I mean, Time Magazine on the science of yoga. So yoga isn't done just for uh, relaxation, I mean, not relaxation, but for uh, improving your health or being more agile. These postures that are done in yoga are done just to limber you up so you can meditate, you know, so you don't have to, your mind won't be distracted by aches and pains. So this is from that uh, Time Magazine article as you can see that, uh, I don't know if you can see it, but it has a um, diagram of the seven chakras, these energy centers they say are in the body. This is Buckland's complete book of witchcraft, which you saw earlier. This is published by Llewellyn Publishing Company in uh, St. Paul. And if anybody ever gives you uh, trouble about yoga, if you say, well, yoga is not Christian or anti-Christian. No, no, yoga is just for you know, limbering up and being more agile and being, you know, having better health. Okay, the basis for yoga is Reiki. You can go to any books, any major bookstore and go to the fitness section. It's very important. Go to the fitness section and look at the books on yoga and you'll find, in 80, 90% of them, you'll find the chakras in these books. And this is the fitness section, not the religion section, the fitness section. You'll find the, uh, the chakras in these books. Well, this is Buckland's complete book of witchcraft, and it says, you'd think that witchcraft and yoga had nothing in common, right? Right? Well, it does. Okay, of all the techniques of advancement, this is from the book, of all the techniques of advancement in the psychic and spiritual fields, meditation is by far the most effective. And in Buckland's complete book of witchcraft, you find another diagram of the chakras, same as in the Time Magazine article. It says, in meditation, the mysterious psychic energy can be sent up through these centers. This very potent force is called the kundalini, or serpent power. As this mighty force begins to flow within you, these vital psychic centers, the chakras, begin to open in successive order. It opens up a channel to your higher self. And this is a book called The Pocket Guide to the Chakras. I got this at a New Age bookstore on the West Coast. The seventh chakra functions like a battery charger, renewing our connection with spirit. Beings on other planes are eager to communicate with you if you are willing to be receptive to them. And this meditation in the chakra system opens people up to these beings on other planes. Now, yoga, Reiki, and witchcraft are all based on the chakra system. And that can be proven. In any court of law, that could be proven. You know, you, you look at Reiki, all the books on Reiki, 
you know, say that Reiki is based on the chakra system. All books on yoga say that yoga is based on the chakra system. And of course, you just saw Buckland's complete book of witchcraft, which says that witchcraft is based on the chakra system. Hey, there's a continuity to this. The classical experience of enlightenment has described by Buddhists, Buddhist monks, Hindu gurus, Christian mystics, Aboriginal shamans, Sufi sheikhs, and Hebrew Kabbalists is characterized by two universal elements, radiant light and an experience of oneness with creation. Okay, conclusion, the spiritual landscape is changing worldwide thanks to the New Age movement, which is alive and well and not some passing fad. See, if this is just people's imagination, it would be like a fad, it'd be like disco, you know, once they got tired of it, they'd uh, drop it, you know, it'd just kind of dry up. But mysticism has never been a fad. I mean, all throughout the world, in India, you know, India, yoga has been practiced for thousands of years, thousands of years. You know, mysticism has been around for thousands of years. It's not a fad. Once you connect with these beings, they actually have you. You're actually in their realm. Your, your life is orchestrated by them. And they're not going to let you go, except by the grace of God. So this is what we're seeing. 17 million people have now connected with these beings through meditation in the U.S. Went from practically nothing, like I said, probably in the mid-60s, who knows, it was probably well under 100,000, probably 20, 30,000 people meditated, mainly in places like New York or Los Angeles. Now 17 million, went from 17, 10 million to 17 million in four years. That means it's skyrocketing. That means it could be, you know, in two years it could be 20 million and 25, and, you know, we're seeing a, uh, a clear paradigm shift, okay? It would appear that the world is being conditioned through books, meditation and business, mystical health care practices, and chakra energies to embrace lying signs and wonders, miracles originating through demonic influences. This repudiates God, the Bible, and the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ, and perhaps is a prelude for widespread acceptance of a false messiah. So this concludes our talk on the changing spiritual landscape. And then, um, you know, later on this afternoon, we're going to look at uh, contemplative prayer, the emerging church, and interspirituality. You know, thank you. Try.